We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbi Nochaim Halevi, the only piece in Hilchos Bechoros. This is Perek Vav Halacha Yud. And even though these halachas in the Rambam deal with the firstborn animal or tithing the animals, but Rabbi Chaim's conceptual idea focuses more on the halachic definition of two brothers who jointly inherit an estate, how we view their joint ownership. The Rambam writes, If two brothers inherit animals from their father, they do not have to take off the tithe, the miser behema, from those animals. So basically, heirs are not obligated to take off miser from the animals they inherit. Now, on the other hand, If they have subsequent animals that are born to them from these animals, so whether they started off as heirs or whether they're partners in business, either way, at this point, the new animals are coming from the partnership. So they are obligated in Meiser Behema. So basically, the Rambam distinguishes that animals which come through inheritance are exempt from Meiser Behema, whereas animals that are jointly owned in partnership are obligated in Meiser Behema. Now, the Lechem Mishnah questions this from the Gemara in Babakama, Kofiuram and Beis. The Gemara has a question with regards to Gezel Hager. So this is a case of someone who stole from a convert. Generally, if someone steals from a born Jew, so they have to return it to him. And if he died, they return it to his heirs. And there's always going to be someone that's related to him. But let's say there's a convert who has no family. So it's possible that there is a Jew with no other Jewish relatives and someone steals from them and then they die. So there's no one to return it to. So if a convert with no family dies, in general, all of the property is ownerless and anyone can take it. But in this case, there's a special halacha that because someone stole from the convert, they need to give that money to the kohanim. So it's considered one of the gifts that's given to the kohanim and they're not allowed to keep it for themselves. So the Gemara wants to know, let's say someone stole animals from a convert who had no family, who then died. So we have a case of Gezel Hager. So now he gives the animals to the kohanim. Him, do they need to take Meiser Behema off of these animals? So the Gemara formulates it, are the Kohanim considered Yorshin, heirs? And the Mishnah says that if the animals come from the estate, then they are obligated in Meiser Behema. So if the Kohanim are considered the Yorshim of the convert, then they are obligated to take off Meiser Behema. Or the alternative is that the Kohanim are considered like people who got a gift. So this is not a relationship of Yorshin, but it's as if they got a gift from the estate of the convert. And the Mishnah says, that someone who buys or is given a gift of animals does not need to take off Meiser Behema. So if the Kohanim have the status of people who received these animals as a gift, then they're not obligated to take off Meiser Behema. Either way, this Gemara makes very clear that if the Kohanim are considered Yorshin of the convert, then they are obligated in Meiser Behema. So that goes totally against the ruling of the Rambam that Yorshin are exempt from Meiser Behema when the Gemara says clearly that Yorshim are obligated in Meiser Behema. So that's Halacha Mishnah's question. Now adding to this problem is that the Rambam himself later in Halacha Yud Gimel records this very Gemara. So he writes, Kohen Shinofulo Eser Behemos Begezel Hager. If a Kohen receives 10 animals from the case of Gezel Hager, 
Those animals are exempt from Meiser Behema because they're considered a gift. And we already said that if someone receives a gift, they don't need to take off Meiser. So the Rambam himself records this Gemara that the only reason a Kohen does not have to give Meiser Behema from Gezel Hager is because he has the status of someone who got a gift. But if he would have the status of a Yoresh, then he would have to take off Meiser Behema. So how can the Rambam write three halachas earlier in Halacha Yud that a Yoresh is exempt from Meiser Behema, which directly contradicts that? So in order to explain this, Rab Chaim differentiates between when there's one Yoresh versus when there's two Yorshin. Inherently, the Rambam does not hold that there's an exemption for Yorshin. So that means if one person inherits the entire estate, Let's say there's only one son in this family. So he inherits the entire estate. So then he would be obligated in Meiser Behema. There's no inherent exemption of Meiser Behema because someone got the animals through Yerusha. But that only applies if there's only one Yoresh. Once there's two brothers, so that changes the equation because now two people inherit this estate. So they divide it. They split it up. So there's no longer a jointly held estate. Now, after they divide it, so Rab Chaim presents two possibilities as to what the next step is. Either they remain separate owners, so each one owns his portion, and they're not combined in any way, so there's no partnership at all. Or it's possible that there is a partnership, meaning once they divide the estate, they then rejoin together, and it becomes an estate. So at this point, there is a partnership, but in the middle, it was divided. So basically, there was an estate owned by the father. Then he died. The two brothers divide the estate and each one inherits his portion. And then subsequent to that, they form a joint estate as a partnership together. So now it makes sense, according to the Rambam, if there's two or more Yorshin who jointly own this estate, why they're exempt in that case from Meiser Behema, because according to option one, there is no partnership. Each one owns their share separately. So that means that within each animal, each one has a portion of it, but there's no obligation of any animal in Meiser Behema. In addition, the Gemara in Bechoros Nunvava Medbez quotes a Brisa that since the Torah defines this halacha as yihia animals that belong to you. So that means only something that a person owns on their own, but if they own it in partnership with someone else, then they're exempt from Meiser Behema. So the Brisa asks, what about the case of Tfisas Habayis, if there's heirs who jointly own an estate that they inherited? So the Brisa says, based on the wording of the Pasuk, that in that case, it would be obligated in Meiser Behema. So basically, we see a clear distinction if there's a jointly owned estate that all the heirs own together, so that's obligated in Meiser Behema. But if it's a partnership, so then they're exempt. So obviously, if we say that each of the heirs owns their own portion, they don't have a joint estate together, then they're obviously exempt from Meiser Behema. So that's all if we follow option one, that there is no partnership amongst the heirs. But even if we follow option two, that there is a joint partnership amongst the heirs, so after they divide it, they recreate that 
that estate together. But still, that's the equivalent in halacha of two partners who jointly decided to create a partnership together. This wasn't created through the process of inheritance, meaning these two brothers didn't inherit the estate together, which then created the joint partnership, but rather they each inherited their own portion. And then that created the joint estate together. But that's the equivalent of people creating a partnership, which is exempt from Meiser Behema, as we said from the so it's clear that if people create a partnership, all of those animals are exempt from Meiser Behema because it's like a form of sale. Each partner is exchanging his animals for a portion of the partnership. So in that case, they're both exempt from Meiser Behema. So that's why in the case of the multiple heirs, if we follow option number two, that they then do create a joint partnership, they're still all going to be exempt from Meiser Behema. So that's why the Rambam differentiates between in a case where there's one Yoresh versus where there's two Yorshim. If there's only one Yoresh, so of course he takes over the entire estate and there's no exemption from Meiser Behema because there is no halacha that Yerusha itself is exempt from Meiser Behema. So even though this Yoresh got the animals through inheritance, that doesn't exempt them from Meiser Behema. But when there's two Yorshim, so even though there's no exemption for the Yerusha process itself, but since they own them financially in a way which is not joint, it's either like a partnership or it's even less than a partnership. So because of the financial status of how they each own their portion of this estate, that's what creates the exemption of Meiser Behema. So that's Rab Chaim's explanation for the Rambam. Now he comes to the case of Gezel Hager, because this would seem to be a case where the inheritance goes to a group of Kohanim, and still the Gemara says that they're obligated to take Meiser Behema, even though there seem to be multiple Yorshim in that case, because it goes to the whole group of Kohanim that week. It doesn't go to a specific Kohen. So Rab Chaim explains that in fact the case of Gezel Hager is analogous to where there is one Yoresh because the person who actually inherits the Gezel Hager is Mishulchan Gavoa Zachu. It goes to Hashem, to the Beis HaMikdash, and from there to the Kohanim. So there is no financial division amongst the Kohanim. It belongs to the Kohanim as an entity, as the people who serve in the Beis HaMikdash, who receive the gifts that are given for Kohanim. So these Kohanim as an entity inherit the Gezel Hager, but there is no financial division the way there would be for regular Yorshim. So that explains why if the Kohanim are considered Yorshim in the Gezel Hager, they're going to be obligated in Meiser Behema because again, there is no special exemption that any animals that are inherited are exempt from Meiser Behema. The only exemption would be in a case where the Yorshim split it up financially. But since the Kohanim's status in the Gezel Hager is that they don't divide it financially. They own it as an entity of Kohanim. So if they're considered Yorshim, it's the equivalent of if there's one Yoresh. So they would be obligated in Meiser Behema. So that explains why the Gemara's case is different from the Rambam's. And that answers the Lecha Mishnah's question. In the Gemara's case of Gezel Hager, the Kohanim are not similar to two brothers who inherit their father's estate. When the brother Brothers inherit their father's estate, even though they're Yorshim, since they split up the estate, therefore they're exempt from Meiser Behema. 
Now Rab Chaim adds that the difference between regular brothers who inherit their father's estate versus Kohanim inheriting the Gezel Hager goes further than what he just said. It's not only that when they originally divide the estate, in the case of the brothers, they divide it financially, whereas the Kohanim all own it as an entity. But the differences continue even after they've divided up the property and everyone takes their portion home. Because in the case of the brothers, what's effectively happening is that there's an estate here which jointly belongs to the two brothers. And then they agree to divide it up. So each one agrees to give the other one their portion in exchange for being able to take home his portion. So they're basically functioning like buyers because each one is selling whatever rights he had in the other one's portion in order to acquire his full portion. Because we don't say Brera that retroactively each one ended up with the portion which was meant for him to begin with. We don't apply that, but rather we view it originally that the whole portions were all mixed together. It was totally confused. And then as buyers, they each took their part in exchange for giving over ownership to the brother. So that's the way regular heirs work. As opposed to the case of the Kohanim getting Gezel Hager, so the Gemara in Babakama Kufyud says explicitly that you can't exchange Gezel Hager for other Gezel Hager. So one Kohen is not allowed to say to another Kohen, you give me your portion in this Gezel Hager in exchange for my portion in a different Gezel Hager. They're not allowed to exchange it that way because the Gezel Hager has a status of a quasi Carbon, So they're not allowed to play games with it. So if that's the case, when the Kohanim take home their portion of the Gezel Hager, it's not an exchange. They're not like buyers. But all that's happening is they're taking home the portion from the Beis HaMikdash's gift that's going to belong to them. So there's a whole pot here and every person gets a little bit of it in order to use. But again, there's no Brera. So we don't say that retroactively it turned out that he got exactly the piece that was supposed to be his. We just say that even though this piece belonged to all the Kohanim jointly, this is what he's going to be using. So this distinction is again going to explain the difference between Gezel Hager versus a regular Yerusha because in the case of regular brothers who inherit something, by the time they split up the property, they have the status of buyers. So that's why they're exempt from Meiser Behema as opposed to the Kohanim that even when they take their portion home, they're not considered buyers at that point. They still have the status of Yorshim. So that's why they're still exempt from Meiser Behema. So that's the distinction that Rabbi Chaim's building towards, but first he needs to defend this whole idea that even when the Kohanim take home their property, they're not considered buyers, they're still considered heirs who are getting the use of this property. So he quotes Atosos and Zvachim Emdalid, who quotes Rashi's opinion, that when the Kohanim inherit the Gezel Hager, that's Mishulchan Gavoa Kazachu. They're getting it from the table of Hashem, from the property of Hashem. So Tosos asks from the Gemara there, which says, Lecha Shalcha Yehei, that the property belongs to the Kohen to the point where he could use it to marry a woman. Now, in order to use property to create a marriage, it has to fully belong to the person. It can't in any way be someone else's property that they're borrowing. So Tosvos asks, according to Rashi, that it's actually the property of Hashem. How is the Kohen able to use this in order to create a marriage? 
So Rab Chaim answers that based on what the Gemara and Baba Kama said, that the Kohen can't exchange one Gezel Hager for a different Gezel Hager, so it must be that before they split up the Gezel Hager property, certainly the Kohen cannot use it at that point in order to marry a woman. The only time he can use it to get married is after they split up the property and he took his portion home. So that's what the Gemara in Zvachim means to say that at that point he's able to use it to get married. Because the Gemara in Kiddushin Nun Gimel says that any property the Kohen doesn't have the right to exchange for something else can't be used to get married. So if the Gemara in Babakama is saying that originally the Kohen cannot exchange his portion of the Gezel Hager for a different Gezel Hager, then obviously at that point, based on the principle in Kiddushin, he cannot use it to get married. So if the Gemara in Zvachim says that he could use the Gezel Hager to get married, it must mean at the point after he already takes it home. So then it fully belongs to him. He could exchange it and he could also use it to get married. Now, even though in the Gemara in Kiddushin, where it's talking about actual hektish, sanctified meat of a carbon. So there the Gemara says that he can't use it to get married even after they split it up and he takes his meat to go eat it. So that's not a parallel to the case of Gezel Hager, where according to Rab Chaim's interpretation, once the Kohen takes it home, he could use it in order to get married. So Rab Chaim says that this inconsistency is not a problem because it makes sense that the actual hektish, the Kohen can't use to get married even after he takes it home and it belongs to him because there's two psukim that limit using hektish to get married. As opposed to Gezel Hager, where there's only one Pasuk limiting it. So it makes sense that the case of actual Hektish should be stricter, that not only can't the Kohen use it to get married before they split it up, but he can't even use it after they split it up. That's the two limitations in the Torah. As opposed to Gezel Hager with only one limitation, so that's only before they split it up, not after they split it up. In addition, says Rab Chaim, the case of Hektish is totally different because they're the object itself is sanctified. So it makes sense that even after the Kohen takes it home to eat it, it doesn't fully belong to him because this is a sanctified object which belongs to all the Kohanim. He's just able to eat it. But the fact that he physically takes it home doesn't change the status of the object to make it his property. So that's why he can't use it to get married even after he takes it home. As opposed to Gezel Hager, which is not a sanctified object, it's a regular piece of property. Now, even though originally when it first came into the property of the Beis HaMikdash, so there there's a halacha that the Kohanim can exchange it, but that's only limited to before they split it up. Once the Kohen takes home his portion, so then it fully becomes his like any other piece of property. So that's why it makes sense for Gezel Hager that once he takes his piece home, he could use it in order to get married. So that explains that distinction. And Rab Chaim points out that there's a parallel to his interpretation of the status of Gezel Hager in the status of Bikurim, which is likewise something which is not inherently sanctified, but still it can't be exchanged by the Kohanim, but once they take it home, it fully belongs to them. Because the Rambam in Hilchus Bikurim, Paragimel Halacha Aleph, writes, Habikurim nosnin osan la'anshe mishmar, the Bikurim are given to the Kohanim of that mishmar, who are on duty that week, and they 
they divided amongst themselves like the sacrifices of the Beis HaMikdash. So the implication is that the dividing of the Bikurim works like they divide the sacrificial meat, meaning a Kohen cannot exchange one Bikurim for other Bikurim, same as he can't exchange his rights in some carbon meat for other carbon meat. So the same thing, he can't exchange Bikurim for other Bikurim, but yet once he takes home his portion of the Bikurim, so the mission in Bikurim says, Habikurim hain nirsei kohen, that the Bikurim belong to the Kohen, it's fully his financial property. So that's the same as Rab Chaim's describing the process of Gezel Hager. Originally, it cannot be exchanged, but once the Kohen gets his portion and takes it home, so then it fully belongs to him. Same as the Rambam seems to be describing the process, the way Bikurim works. So now if Rab Chaim's interpretation of how the process of dividing the Gezel Hager works is correct, so that proves his initial point earlier, which is that since originally the Kohanim do not have the right to exchange the Gezel Hager, so when they split up the Gezel Hager property among themselves, they're not exchanging it as if they're buying their portion in exchange for another portion. But instead, they're just choosing a portion which is now going to become theirs. So it is going to belong to them, but they're getting it without having rights to it originally. So their rights to this property only begins after they already chose it. So that's what it means, Mishulchan Gavoa Kazachu, the property belongs to Hashem, and the Kohanim divided amongst themselves, and then subsequent to that, they get the financial rights to it. So now Rab Chaim concludes his analysis, and he says that if this distinction between the case of Gezel Hager versus a regular Yoresh is correct, so that explains exactly why the Rambam rules that regular Yorshin, if there's two or more heirs, are exempt from Meiser from the animals they inherit together, whereas the Kohanim are obligated in Meiser Behema from the animals that they inherit from Gezel Hager. Because as Rab Chaim explained, there is no inherent exemption that anyone who inherits animals is exempt from Meiser Behema. That's not the principle. Rather, the rule in Halacha is that when two brothers inherit animals together, so when they split it up, because they're exchanging each other's portions, so that's considered like they're buyers, and that's why they're exempt from Meiser Behema. So that only applies to regular Yorshim, that each of them has a financial right to the estate, and then they exchange it during the process of dividing the estate. So they each come out as buyers in their portion, so they're exempt from Meiser Behema. But that does not apply to the case of the Kohanim dividing up the property of Gezel Hager, because as Rab Chaim explained, they have no financial right originally to this property. It belongs to Hashem who then gives it to them. So when they divide it, they take home a portion and only subsequent to that do they get a financial right to their portion. So since there's no exchange of the different portions with each other, they're not considered buyers at the end of the day. They're still considered Yorshim. This is how most of us on the surface think about inheritance, that each heir takes home their property and it belongs to them because they're part of the inheritance. So even though Rab Chaim's saying that in general, inheritance doesn't work that way, it's like a buying and selling exchange, but in the case of the Kohanim, they do find 
follow the classic way of thinking about inheritance. Since there's an estate to be divided and they each get a portion, so they each go home with their portion, but they still have the status of an heir. So since they're not considered buyers in terms of this estate, so they're not exempt from Meiser Behema because they bought the animals, so to speak. The only reason they'd be exempt is because they inherited the animals. And again, there is no exemption for inheriting animals from Meiser Behema. So that's why the Rambam's going to agree that in the case of the Kohanim getting the Gezel Hager, if they're considered Yorshim, then they're going to be obligated in Meiser Behema. But if it's considered that they got a gift, so then they would be exempt from Meiser Behema. Now in the parentheses, Rab Chaim raises the issue that how could we say the Kohanim remain Yorshim when at the end of the day they own the property more than they did when they originally inherited it? Because that's one of the key themes of Rab Chaim's interpretation that originally the Kohanim don't really own it. It belongs to Hashem who gives it to them and only subsequent to dividing it does it fully belong to them financially. So if that's the case, once they take it home and fully own it, so they should no longer be considered heirs, they went up a notch because it's fully theirs. So Rab Chaim says that still, as he explained, the only reason they have any rights to this animal only comes about because they took it home as an heir. So since they got it as a Yoresh, it now becomes fully theirs. But that's not able to transcend the original reason why they got it, which is that they're Yorshim. So that's why they remain Yorshim, as opposed to the case of the regular Yorshim, where even though originally they got it because they were Yorshim, but once they divide the property, at that point they're actually exchanging their property for each other's, so therefore they transcend the original Yorshim category and they're considered buyers, so they're exempt from Meiser Behema. So this is Rab Chaim's analysis to explain the Rambam's rulings and to answer the Lecha Mishnah's question from the case of Gezel Hager. And the key idea that Rab Chaim proposes is that there's a distinction between regular Yorshim versus Gezel Hager, that regular Yorshim exchange their portions in order to divide the property, so they become Lekuchos, buyers, so that's why they're exempt from Meiser Behema, whereas Kohanim always remain Yorshim, so that's why they're obligated in Meiser Behema. And in the beginning, Rab Chaim furthermore distinguishes between the case of one Yoresh versus two Yorshim, that if there's only one Yoresh, so that's similar to the Kohanim from Gezel Hager, that's also considered a case of Yerusha, so he's obligated in Meiser Behema. So basically the Rambam's exemption of Yorshim from Meiser Behema only applies to the case of two brothers or two relatives or more who jointly inherit an estate. And the key conceptual point that Rab Chaim's developing is again with regard to the nature of Yerusha. Rab Chaim suggests that the way we generally conceive of Yerusha, that someone dies and their heirs inherit the property and divide it, it really only works that way when either there's one Yoresh or in the very unusual case of the Kohanim getting the Gezel Hager. But when there's multiple Yorshim, so it actually works a little differently, they do inherit the estate. But since every Everyone has a part in the entire estate. In order to divide it, they have to make an exchange. Each one buys out the other one's portion in exchange for getting their portion. So that's how Rab Chaim conceives of the process of dividing an estate. Now, there's another conceptual point that Rab Chaim touches on, and this is developed by his son, the Briskarov, in the Chidusha Agriz on Tmura Dafyud Gimel. And that is that Rab Chaim entertains two possibilities why a partnership is exempt from Meiser Behem. 
Nima. There's the standard explanation because when they enter the partnership, each one is exchanging his portion for ownership in the partnership. So they're like buyers. So the basis of the exemption of a partnership from Meiser Behema is the same because they're buyers. That's one option which Rab Chaim entertains. The other is that each of the owners owns a part of each of the animals. So therefore, there's no obligation in Meiser Behema because neither of them owns the entirety of 10 animals. And a simple distinction between these two approaches seems to be the second generation of animals. So if the whole lineage is because they're like buyers, that would only apply to the first generation of animals that they create the partnership with. But any animals subsequently born would be obligated, as opposed to the other approach that neither one of them owns the entirety of the animal, so that would apply even to the children born into the animals of the partnership. So that's the discussion that the Briskarov develops. Now, in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, so they point out that Rab Chaim's whole approach that the Rambam does not exempt one Yoresh from Meiser Behema. The exemption of Yorshim from Meiser Behema only applies to two or more Yorshim because they have to split it up so they're considered buyers. So that is the approach of the Lecha Mishnah as well as the Mabit in Kiryas Sefer. But they quote that the Me'iri in Beit Zalamites and Shkol in Perak Aleph Mishnah Gimel and the Chazon Ish in Babakama Simen Chaf Sifkat Yotes and Bechoros Simen Chaf Zayin Sifkat Tesvav so they disagree with this approach of Rab Chaim and they maintain that the exemption of a Yoresh from Meiser Behema applies even if there's only one Yoresh. So there's some debate here whether the exemption of a Yoresh from Meiser Behema only applies to multiple Yorshim, like Rab Chaim suggests and the Lecha Mishnah and the Kiryas Sefer agree, or like the Chazon Ish argues that the exemption of a Yoresh from Meiser Behema applies even to one Yoresh.